0: 7 through 13. Of course, as we look at Scripture, we can see the type of God that we serve today. Of course, we are under a new law these days, are under the new covenant, the old covenant was done away with. but We can still look back in the Old Testament and consider the nature of the God we serve, that they served then, that Moses did, that we serve today. So let's look at Exodus 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about, whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses, until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friends. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Isn't this interesting? Moses spending time with God in such a way. Sitting down and speaking to Him face to face, as though he was with with an old friend. Coming down in this pillar of cloud, descending upon the tent. Other people using that time as a time of devotion as well. And Moses spending sixty minutes, perhaps hours, conversing with God. If you were in that position, what would you ask our Creator? Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen tell us that all Scripture is God breathed and is profitable for instruction, for correction, for reproof in righteousness, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, we get get what we need from the Word of God, but there are things still that we have questions about. Scripture gives us exactly what we need, but there are sometimes more answers in the book than some would care to admit. Chapter 3, verses 6-9 through says this, For among them are those who enter into households, and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. Sometimes people ask strange questions, questions that might not really have an answer. We're going to actually look at some of those tonight, because when, you're, when you ask a question, when you ask a question of God, when you talk about apologetics, you kind of have to frame the question and consider exactly what it's asking. So we're, we're not going to be looking down at uh, questions that, seem to you know just kind of take us down a dark path but rather we're going to find true and right answers this evening to some of these questions verse seven always learning never able to come to the knowledge of the truth that happens even today seems that the the most educated people still have questions you got all those letters after your name you still got that many questions Paul addresses it with Timothy here. There are people who are always trying to come to the knowledge, they're always learning, and they're never actually able to say, okay, this is what I believe right now. They're just full of questions rather than answers. We're going to look at some answers this evening. Just as John A's and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the truth, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all just as Janae's and Jambres' folly was also. As we go through this lesson this evening, I want you to take notice of this fact, that many of the questions we would ask God in this 60-minute time frame or perhaps longer have already been answered. So let's look and see the wonderful answers that we can come across this evening. Number one, Brother Danny, I hope you're at home watching. This will probably be his favorite one. God, where did you come from? A reasonable question, to be sure. Evolutionists and creationists have been battling this one out for a very long time. Kyle Butt, Eric Lyons, they work at Apologetics Press, great guys. And they have a lot of information. If you ever have questions like this, good questions, look to their site, apologeticspress.com, and they are just have lots of these answers, and they look at these so very closely. In fact, some of the information this night came from Brother Eric Lyons. So where did we come from? If we ask that, we got to look to the heavens, because our answer, as Christians, our answer is God. An evolutionist answer, on the other hand, is by chance. Now, if you've spent five minutes in a health science class, You can look at the design of the human body and look at it and know, man, that works. You know, what what rises us above other mammals? This right here, right? This one little thing right here, you know, helped us start fires, helped us hold a fishing pole, thank goodness, helped us hold on to a lot of other things. It's because God created us in His image. And there's a lot of design that goes into this human body, not to mention all the other things that we could look at and talk about for hours. One of the comparisons that we often make as Christians going after proving the existence of God is this. This is a watch that's been taken apart. And someone who says, Oh God, it could not could not be, could not be Him at all, it could not exist. They would contend that one could throw these parts into a box, shake it up, and then you could pull out a watch. We all know that to not be true. Someone has to put it together. And because there is design, there must, by default, be a designer, our Heavenly Father. But still, where did God come from? We know that we can trust God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Because it has qualities within itself that man could not have come up with unless he had been inspired by his Creator, by a higher being. So that's how much faith we can put into the Word of God. In Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Our God, you see, is everlasting. Your throne is established from of old. You are everlasting. Now, I'm just spending a few moments here at this point. There's many other points that can be made in greater degree. But the answer that I'm going to give you tonight, if you'd like to talk further, if you're online watching, let us know. love to talk further with you about it. But the answer tonight is God has always been. That's not the question we wanted, Dale. It's not the answer we wanted, rather. Well, let's think about this for a moment. The question, where did God come from, assumes that God had a cause. Let me tell you this, if I did tell you, well, at this point in time, this is where God began, if that was my answer this evening, well, who started that, is the next question. So the question tonight is, where did God come from? Well, God has always been, His Word says so. His Word is beyond the accomplishment of mere mortal man. So this, in turn, is evidence that God does exist. And that God has always been. Well, we know that all things have a beginning and an ending. But when we say that, we're actually talking about the temporal things on this earth. All things have a beginning, all things have an ending. We're talking about, rather, the natural world. But God Himself is a spiritual being. Outside our limited scope of mind and comprehension for, as the verses we just referenced say, He is the everlasting God. So it kind of is a strange question when you consider the next few points. Asking where did God come from is like asking, well, when did eternity start? It's similar to the question that sometimes comes up, can God make a rock so big that He cannot lift? Here's the answer to that. God can't do anything that's outside His nature. Well, sure He can, Dale. God God can do anything. Can He lie? Of course not. For that is outside His nature. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. A few years ago in New Scientist magazine, a study was published entitled, The Beginning. What Triggered the Big Bang? Some scientists have tried to Replicate this on a smaller scale, thankfully. In this article, one of the researchers concluded this, the quest to understand the origin of the universe seems to be destined to continue until we can answer a deeper question. Why is there anything at all instead of nothing? So where did God come from indeed? Well, God has always been. This is a larger question. Again, do some more study yourself. Look to Apologetics Press. I've got some materials as well. If you'd like to study this further. But this is definitely a question we would be asking. Our next question, God, why did you create man? Let's look at Acts chapter 17 for this answer. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. You see, this passage says that God does not need us to make things for Him like temples. He doesn't need that anymore, not at this time. We don't provide anything that He needs, like food for instance. God is our creator, and God gives to us. Why did he create us? Well, I'm going to take that question and ask another to help us understand. Why do humans have children? Little Rowan, second time I've mentioned him today, I can't help it myself, he's cute. He's with us again this evening, our newest arrival in the congregation. And Ariel and Canaan, I'm sure as the rest of us who have had children, we all have said the same thing. Let's have a baby so he can sleep all day and we can stay awake all night. I know Canaan was saying that. I hear feeding them doesn't cost too much. Clothing them, we can just give them a towel or something. College is getting less expensive every year. Let's have five kids. Of course not. We have children because it is a way for families to bring more love into their home. The love between between spouses is, is immense. And at some point, I know what happened to me, at some point you think to yourself, my heart needs to grow a little bit. I need to add something here. I'll create my own people. It's what God said. God is love. God wanted someone to love, someone to interact with. He knew we'd break His heart. In His foreknowledge, He had to have known. But He gave Adam and Eve a chance. A chance to do things themselves. And of course, they falter, as we all do. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Not until you hold your own child in your hands can you understand why you would want to have one. And I think God thinks the same way. God, how do you love the sinner while hating the sin? This is a concept that we don't understand very well. If someone does something we don't like, we get angry, and we want to hurt them back. But it's different when you love the person, just like what we said a moment ago. We're limited in who we have within our families, who we can call our children. God, on the other hand, does not. God does not have the luxury to say, well, I don't know you, you know, God bless, I'll see you later. God, because of His love, looks at His children and wonders when they'll turn to Him, wonders when they'll change. And we here on this earth sit and wonder, how can He love sinners? How can He love people like that? Well, again, it's beyond our scope. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 and 14 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, Paul wrote to Timothy, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. I can hear, you know, this is, this is pen on papyrus. And Paul is saying he considered me faithful, putting me into his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly, in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which, we, which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And it is here that we can see that God truly does love the sinner while hating the sin. At the same time. He he didn't want Saul living that way anymore. He didn't want him to be that way anymore. So he said, Saul, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to help you do something different. And I'm going to show all mankind. The greatness that can come from following me. How does he love the sinner? Sometimes I don't know. But he does. And he does a fantastic job of it. Next question. God... Are you coming back in my lifetime? Sometimes I wish he would. I get tired, man. I know you get tired as well. There's a lot of like about this world, but it's difficult. We don't know if he's coming back in our lifetime. But we do know this, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Be ready. We know that. We know He wants us to be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. In First Thessalonians 5, 2, He will come like a thief in the night. We don't like surprises very much. Ariel and Canaan's wedding was fantastic yesterday. It went off without a hitch even though I was kind of doing some things. But it went really well yesterday. And these are two planners. So, they were a nervous wreck making sure things went perfectly. But we don't like surprises. So, what must we do? We must be ready for his coming, for that is what is important. If you are a planner, this can be a bit unnerving. But when you're ready, you're ready. There were virgins in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, who were ready, others were not. They were punished, they were not able to see. The bridegroom. Our kids ask us a lot of questions because they want to know. They want to know what's going to happen. They want to know when it's going to happen. And, you know, you explain it to them. Now what again, they might ask. Sometimes we just have to tell them, trust me. This is what we must do with God and His second coming. Trust in Him. Be ready for it. And you won't have to worry about whether or not he's coming back in your lifetime. But I do understand the curiosity of the question, and it would certainly be something I would ask. I'd like to know what his points will be to decide whether or not to end mankind. We know what he thought about it in Noah, in Noah's day. I wonder what he's thinking right now about that. Finally, God, am I saved. When you speak to your religious friends about salvation, you'll hear various things discussed regarding salvation. You might even hear Calvinism. You might not hear this word mentioned. But this is just one point of what Calvinism teaches. It teaches that only certain people are going to heaven. Only the elect. And there's nothing you can do about it. This is scary. Scary to think that I might live my life faithfully on this earth and get, hopefully, as far as the pearly gates, they say, sorry, Dale, you weren't one of the elect. This is scary and false because Christ Jesus died for all and said that He wants all men to be saved, not just certain few. There's the other doctrine, once saved, always saves. It says there's nothing I can do that will separate me from Christ. I like that to a degree, because Christ saves me, grace saves me. can't work my way to heaven, I understand all of that. But when I read parts like this, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, you have been severed from Christ. Severed meaning I was attached to Him at some point. I was joined to Him somehow. Through baptism, we would teach, I was there with Him. But you were severed. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Somebody thinks they're always saved, they're not going to question that salvation. They're not going to question their behavior. They're going to look at passages like this and wonder what it means. You have fallen from grace. Certainly... We can. Living a faithful life is a part of the Christian walk. So the question is, can we know we are saved right now? Can we have that confidence? The people were saved by their faith, by their grace, by their belief, by their actions. In Acts chapter 2, when they were baptized and they obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ based on the teachings of the apostles on that day of Pentecost. What did they think? Sure hope. I know that they knew they were saved at that moment. Living a faithful life is a part of the Christian walk. We have to keep that in mind, though. One is saved, God can do marvelous things. He can turn a man like Saul around. He can turn a person like you around. He can do fantastic things. Certainly, certainly he'll save you if you work to be faithful, because we've got to read Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. Fantastic passage. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. That tells us there's two different ways to think, right? This tells us. Other passages tell us Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord, enter the kingdom of heaven." Not everyone who thinks they're faithful are going to go in there. They're going to see the pearly gates from the distance, and he's probably going to start going another direction. What's well, going to happen according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21? According to passages like this, the mindset on the flesh is death. You got your mindset on fleshly things, you're not living. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So there's two places you can think on. Because the mindset on the flesh, it is hostile toward God. Oh, Dale, but I'm a good person. If you're a fleshly, living individual away from the spirit, outside of Christ, you are hostile towards God, according to what Paul told the Romans. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. The flesh doesn't. The flesh wants what it wants, the spirit wants wants what God wants, you got a different thing happening there. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Paul is talking to the Christians here at Rome, those who were baptized, those who were faithful here in Rome. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So, there's a faithful way and there is an unfaithful way, according to the passages I've mentioned. Our place in eternity will not be fully revealed until the day of judgment, when we are separated into those who will be with God in heaven or those who will be punished, Matthew chapter 25. But can we be confident that we are saved right now? I think looking back at Paul and his writings in the previous chapter of of, of chapter 7, in Romans chapter 7, conflict of his two natures. There, I can see it right here, starting in verse 14. Even though he didn't live a perfect life, I mentioned it this morning, even though he didn't live that perfect life, he still lived for God and was confident in his salvation. And I believe that we can be confident in that salvation as well. For if you are a faithful Christian, then you can be confident. You don't have to be perfect, thankful. And strive for excellence, like I talked about this morning. There will be struggles, but when you strive to be close to God, you can, rest, be re- you can rest assured of your salvation. Romans eight sixteen the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I'm a child of God. I've been baptized into the blood and body of Jesus Christ. What about you this evening? God, am I saved? You better be sure. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, fantastic passage. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Moses, Abraham, and Noah didn't always fully comprehend what God was doing in their life, but they followed him anyway. They asked questions, probably kept a lot of questions to themselves. Oswald Chambers said of faith that it is the deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. These questions, I hope you have found them interesting. I hope you see that these are questions people ask, but the answers are are right there in Scripture. And Probably the most important question we have asked this evening is, am I saved? Are you? Are you a Christian? Are you a baptized believer in Christ? If not... Your salvation is greatly in question. I'll leave it to God to make that final verdict. But when people ask, what must we do to be saved? They were told to be baptized, to repent, to change their ways, to rely on the grace of God. Do that this evening and become a Christian. Or if you are already a Christian and have fallen away, come forward and let us pray for you that you might return to your first love. Please come forward now to stand and sing. Where we walk with the Lord. I oh, don't